evidence and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, we have a very special message in store for you. The COVID-19 crisis has many people asking about God, evil, and suffering. Pat presented a message on this topic to a group of students in Ithaca, New York. The message was followed by a time of question and answers. Today, Pat will address some of the challenging questions posed by these college and high school students. Here with part one of this series entitled, Tough Questions About God, Evil, and Suffering, is our host, Pat Zucran. This is Pat Zucran, and you're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, recently through the internet, I was able to preach a message to students at Cornell University. Many of them go to the Ithaca Chinese Christian Church, and so I was preaching a Sunday morning message there on God exists, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Of course, focusing on the crisis that we face today. And after the message, there was about an hour question and answer time. Of course, I didn't get to answer all their questions. And so we're addressing many of their questions now here on Evidence and Answers, and they ask some very outstanding questions. Of course, the first one, and the one that's on everybody's mind is, do you think that the coronavirus crisis is a punishment from God? Why or why not? Well, this is perhaps one of the most popular questions being asked at this time. I wrote an article on it. You can read it at evidenceandanswers.org. And in the Bible, there definitely are occasions when God used natural disasters or calamity for judgment upon wicked nations and to discipline his people, to get them to turn from a wayward and destructive path back to the path of obedience and life and turning them back to himself. So there are times that God used natural disasters as judgment and discipline upon his people. And in fact, even in the Old Testament law, God warned his people in Deuteronomy 28 and 29 and other passages that if they disobeyed God and followed the evil path of the Canaanite civilizations, then God would indeed bring many calamities upon them. And one of the specific ones mentioned is pestilence and famine and other natural disasters. So there are times God uses natural disasters like pestilence and plague as punishment upon wicked people or to discipline his people. But not every natural disaster should be considered God's judgment. You know, some are just the results of living in this fallen world in which sin has infested and affected all arenas of creation. Well, is this coronavirus some kind of judgment from God? Everything that God does, God is sovereign over all creation. And all that he does is guided by his character of love and of justice. Nothing that happens in this world has not first been filtered through his hands of love. But also remember, there's a perfect balance of justice in God. Sin must be dwelt with in a just manner. So there's that perfect balance in God. And if this is a judgment of God, we certainly should not be surprised and he certainly has a right to judge mankind for for too long we have disobeyed his law and turned 
from him. You look at what's going on today, how we have redefined marriage, God's institution, the basic foundation of every culture and society. No culture has ever survived that has redefined the definition of marriage. In abortion, we've killed over 60 million children. The whole transgender issue now where we're, we have trouble defining what is a man and what is a woman. That's an attack on the very image of God. And so this is some form of judgment of God. He's certainly justified in doing so. Now, what is going on is not what we call a moral evil. Moral evil is the evil that results from immoral acts of humans. This is natural evil. In other words, a natural disasters which really humans have no control over. And God uses both types in his divine wisdom to somehow bring about his purpose. So at this time, really can't say whether this is God's judgment or not, or just a natural disaster as a result of living in a fallen world. Of course, we do not have the infinite eternal wisdom that God has perhaps someday will understand why he allowed these things to happen. But you know there are definitely some lessons that he wants us to learn through this time. One of the things that calamities like these do is that it exposes error, exposes false teachings. For example, I mean where are those great faith healers and men who claim to be God incarnate and men who claim to be the Messiah or the second coming or you know the incarnation of God I mean where are they these men who claim they can heal diseases for the right price of course I mean where are they now boy if there was a time we could use them if there was a time they could shine it would be now but they are silent they're being exposed for what they truly are we're seeing the emptiness of the naturalist or the atheist worldview. I mean, really, what message of hope do they have to bring us now? I mean, the only messages you're hearing are really coming from the Christians because they're the only ones. The gospel of Jesus Christ is really the only reasonable and true message of hope at times like this. And you see the emptiness of secular worldviews and the naturalist worldviews, I mean, they're really silent. We saw the same thing on 9-11, right? When that great catastrophe happened there, you know, where were all the postmodernists and the rel moral relativists saying, well, that's their culture. It's right for them. They're heroes in their culture. Hey, what can you say? No, everyone was crying for justice. They were pointing to a universal moral law code, all right? And the relativists and the naturalist worldview was silent and people were praying to God and singing, you know, God bless America. Well, that's what we're seeing here today. We're seeing these false teachers and these false ideologies being silenced. And we're seeing that really it's only the gospel of Christ that can offer a true message of hope. And especially as people are beginning to ask the big questions, what's really important? Is there anything that lasts forever? Is there hope in a situation like this? What is the meaning of our existence here? What is the meaning of my life here? That, and we're understanding the frailty of human life. And so we're beginning to see false teachings and errors exposed. That's one thing natural disasters teach us. Uh, natural disasters also expose sin. And of course, the biggest sin is pride. For how long have we thought we can do it without God? We are the 
masters of our own destinies. You know, we are the sole rulers of the earth. And events like this remind us who is really in charge and how frail and fragile we really are. And how something as small that we can't see, like a virus, can wreak havoc here upon the earth. And we begin to understand where our true hope really lies. I see this kind of arrogance in the secular transhumanist movement that I've been inundated and studying now. The transhumanist movement is to create the post-human through genetic engineering. We believe that we can cure every disease that is out there. In fact, we can engineer babies into our image now in the womb, make them as tall as we want, what color hair, what color skin. Not only that, we will solve all diseases and we will also cure the aging problem so we can have eternal life. And not only that, through AI, you know, artificial intelligence, we can become super smart. You know, we'll have Google-like, all-knowing, Google-like intelligence. And then through biotechnology, the creation of bionic parts and these exoskeletons, we can become super strong. And so we can create a utopia, and technology and science will be our saviors. It's technology and science that will bring eternal life. Google-like intelligence, angelic-like bodies. I mean, if we can do that for ourselves, who needs a savior? And who needs eternal life through Jesus Christ? And we thought we were the masters of our own destinies. And catastrophes like this teach us, no, we're not. There is a God, and life is fragile and frail, and we need God more than ever. He is the one who rules the universe, and he even sustains the universe. And so catastrophes like this expose sin. You know, catastrophes like this correct our thinking. When confronted with catastrophes like this, we suddenly realize what's important. What is our true hope? I had a friend, top CFO in his company, believed that his job was his sense of security. It was unshakable. It was his sense of identity. Well, that's gone now. You know, he's no longer being wined and dined by all these companies. In fact, his company may not make it through the shutdown and what is his identity and he's beginning to ask the great questions of life that we all should have been asking when we're young what is the purpose of my life does everything end in death and annihilation I mean is there anything that's eternal that's worth investing my whole life into you know what is it that's really important and people are beginning to ask those questions and hopefully they come to the right answers you know and the right answers are found in Jesus Christ because only three things last forever God, His Word, and the souls of people. In times like these, we come to realize what's truly important. Dr. James Dobson, I remember he stated when he was staring death in the face, he said at a time like that, these are the things that are going to matter. It's going to come down to God, those you love, those who loved you, and the things that you've done for God, because that's what's going to matter for eternity. So those are some of the lessons that God wants us to learn through situations like this. So... Is it a punishment or judgment from God? Well, I really don't know. But God has allowed this to happen for a reason, and there are definitely some valuable lessons He wants us to learn and be transformed by this. You know, the second question here is, do you think that the coronavirus crisis is a sign of the last times? Why or why not? If so, what other signs of the last times are you aware of? That's a great question. You know, it's got a lot of people asking that. Luke chapter 21, verses 10 through 11, 
Jesus talks about the signs that will occur before his return. And he mentions nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. So Jesus here in Luke 21 mentions pestilence specifically. In Revelation chapter 6, we have the unveiling of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it states in verse 8, it says, And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So you see that in book of Revelation, it mentions that when we are in the end times, there will be pestilence. Now, are we in the end times? Are we in the tribulation period where there are those who hold to the post-tribulation rapture? And if you're not familiar with that, go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org, and listen to some of my interviews with Dr. Mark Hitchcock on the time of the rapture. All right, But those who believe the rapture occurs at the end of the seven-year tribulation, many of them are saying, well, not many, but some of them are saying we're in the tribulation period now. Well, I don't think we are in the end times because there's several things that must happen before the great tribulation begins. Now, the seven-year tribulation, when God's wrath is unleashed upon the earth and we have catastrophes like we have never seen before, the seven-year tribulation comes from Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And he writes this, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Alright, so here in Daniel, he talks about that 70th week. One week represents seven years. So the 70th week has not happened yet. The 69 weeks are fulfilled in the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, amazing prophecy that predicts the date when Christ would be crucified. So go to my website evidenceandanswers.org and you can see that prophecy explained there in an article or in a radio show titled Messianic Prophecies. Okay, But that 70th week, that last seven years, has not been fulfilled yet. Jesus said in Matthew 24, all right, and he's quoting from Daniel here, he's referring to this prophecy. Jesus says, when you see the abomination spoken of in Daniel, then let those in Judea, in Jerusalem, run for the hills. This 70th week, this is the seven year tribulation. And what begins the tribulation? Well, Daniel says here, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. There will be a world ruler Right, and Revelation reveals that called the Antichrist. And he will make a covenant with the nation of Israel. All right, a peace covenant with the nation of Israel. So there will be a world ruler who brings the world under his authority and his dominion. And he makes a peace covenant with Israel. And then Daniel says, in the middle of the seven of the week, of the seven days, he will put an end to the sacrifice and will set up the abomination in the Holy of Holies. That's the Daniel 9:27 prophecy. And Jesus says, when you see that again, as Daniel prophesied, then you know the worst is yet to come. So what begins the tribulation is a world leader signing a peace covenant with the nation of Israel, bringing a false temporary peace with the nation of Israel. Well, that has not happened yet. There's not a world leader 
who has brought the world under his authority that has signed the peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Your closest candidate might be President Donald Trump, but I don't think he fits the profile of the Antichrist, nor does Putin, nor does the leader of China or any other country. No one has brought the world under their authority yet and signed a peace treaty with Israel. So that's the main reason why I do not think we are in the tribulation period. Then some additional factors. I take the pre-tribulation rapture position. I believe that the rapture will occur before the tribulation and uh, you can listen to my interview with Dr. Mark Hitchcock on that. We provide over a dozen reasons why. One of them, I can just go through just a couple briefly, is in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2, when it talks about the day of the Lord or the rapture, Paul says that it will come like a thief in the night while, while people are saying there is peace and security. Well, if the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation, you know when Jesus is coming. He's not coming like a thief in the night. All right, You know when he's coming. You know when the tribulation starts, when the Antichrist signs a peace covenant with the nation of Israel, and then you'll know at least in the middle of the tribulation when there's the abomination of desolation. So if he's coming at the end of the tribulation, he's not coming like a thief in the night. Second of all, when you're in the tribulation, you're not saying there's peace and security. You know, I mean, you are crying for the mountains to hide you. In, in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, it, it states, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And so people aren't saying there's peace and security. You know, they're crying for the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. And in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord. So it doesn't seem that the church is destined for wrath. So I do not believe that we're in the tribulation because we would be gone by then. I believe the rapture occurs before the tribulation. I think the biblical evidence is, is pretty strong on that. And then after the rapture, there's a brief moment before the seven-year tribulation actually begins. And during this time, this is when there is a Russian-led Islamic coalition, the Battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's when this war takes place and then the Russian Islamic powerhouse is gone and that sets the stage for the new and final empire of the Antichrist to arise. I think that chronology makes the most sense and the reason I think it begins before the tribulation or very early in the beginning is because in Ezekiel 37 verse 9 and 12 it, it says it takes seven years to clear the debris of the war so I think without that war happening without the rapture I don't think we are in the tribulation well what's going on now well Jesus says that when you see these things intensify persecution of the church the rise of false teachers and false Christ natural disasters earthquakes famines pestilence he says these are the beginning birth pains he says, know that my return is near. So when you see an intensifying of these things, that's an indication that we are close to the return of Christ. So coronavirus and these other natural disasters that many of us haven't seen in our lifetime, 
perhaps they are a sign that indeed the return of Christ is near. Oh, it's amazing. You know, a lot of time has gone by. We've only gone through two questions, right? Well, here's the third one. When people are going through difficult times, how do you share the content of your sermon with empathy? The message that I had presented was, if God exists, why is there so much suffering and evil? And I gave two parts of that message. And the first part is the intellectual part. Is there a reasonable answer how you can have a perfect God who created a perfect universe and creation, then how did evil get in there and why does this God allow evil to continue? So that's the intellectual side and I believe Christianity of all the worldviews and ideologies out there offers the best, most reasonable answers out there. But secondly, how do you address people who are going through a difficult time? Well, that's where you do part two. This is called the religious part of the answer. This is Part one is about the head content. Part two is about the heart. How do you speak to people who are going through difficult times? And here I believe Christianity, once again, is the only one that can offer a meaningful and true message of hope. I mean, what does the atheist have to offer? When I was in a discussion with an atheist, he brought the intellectual argument. He repeated what I had said, and he said, well, how does that help someone who's suffering or dying of cancer or just gave birth to a phys child with many physical defects. And I said, well, that's the intellectual part of the answer. We have a response for the heart as well. But I said, you as an atheist, what is your response? Here's your response. We are all just product of time and chance. The universe is the product of time and chance. It's an accident that the universe is here. There's really no ultimate meaning for its existence. There's no ultimate meaning for our existence either. We're just the product of natural causes that molecules and atoms collided and we got lucky and somehow we got life from non-life. We don't know how, but we got it. And there's really no reason or plan for our being here. We exist for a few moments and then we are extinct. We're annihilated, we're gone, all right? So your life is ultimately meaningless. Your suffering is meaningless. You live in a meaningless existence and ultimately you'll cease to exist. You'll be annihilated. I said, what kind of message is that? And I said, really, it's only the gospel of Christ that can offer a, me a true and meaningful message of hope. God is in control of all things, Romans 8, 28, and using even this time of suffering, the suffering that results from evil, to somehow bring about his purpose, which is always for our good and for his glory. Somehow, he is using it, whether we understand it in this lifetime or in the next. God is in control and using it to bring about his purpose. And God does not abandon us. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. God is with us through our struggle. He does not abandon us. We don't have a God who just passively watches and hopes we make it. In fact, he even entered into our fallen world that we made and suffered alongside of us. And so he understands that he's with us through the whole thing. And he brings us through. And in the end, we win. We're victorious through Jesus Christ. There is a just universe where evil will be judged, the wicked will receive their due, and the righteous will indeed receive their reward. And suffering will come to an end and we live eternally and victoriously with Jesus Christ. I mean, so what's the worst that can happen for the Christian? Well, he lives eternally with Jesus Christ, victory in Christ. So really it's only the gospel that can bring a message of hope. And I remember when we were on the radio debating, the atheist asked me, he said, well, how do you know that's just not 
wishful thinking. And I said, oh, I thought you'd never ask. We know because of the resurrection of Christ, one of the best documented events in ancient history. And we can demonstrate it's the most reasonable explanation for that empty tomb. And that's why the gospel of Christ is the only one that can offer a message of hope. So in Christianity, you've got both. An answer that satisfies the logical issue and one that meets people at the heart. It answers both. That's why I believe the Christian worldview is the only one that can address the issues we're facing at this time. And that's why that's really the only voice you are hearing right now. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally to schedule. That number in Hawaii is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our webpage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to check our website out and share it with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucker. Yeah.